0: and welcome once again to the perimeter church podcast picture the wrath of god was it the mayor's office in ghostbusters dogs and cats living together or the climax of raiders of the lost ark don't look at it or the plagues from the ten commandments no matter the picture can the wrath of god be good Lead teacher Randy Pope starts the new series, Excuses, 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 with this message entitled, God is Good, which covers Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Thank you for joining us today. We ask you now, Father, that you would be
1: so gracious to take a word that you have given to us so that we might know how to live life, what we should know about life, to know about you, to know about ourselves. And we pray, God, use this to turn our hearts more toward you. We don't know exactly how you do that, but may your spirit work to that end, we ask in the great name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. I was studying a number of years ago, studying in my study at my home, which is where I do most of my study. And it happens to be real near the front door and the doorbell rang. Carol maybe wasn't there. I don't remember, but I made it to the door first and opened the door and nobody was there. No big deal until it happened about the same time the next day, and then the next day, and the next day. And it kept happening day after day. Carol and I talked about it and said, what's going on? And realize that, well, school lets out at that same time, and obviously what happens is we live right next door to an elementary school, and the kids that are in our neighborhood, they walk home through our yard. That's just a, that's their pathway. And so uh, we realize somebody is ringing our doorbell and then running. It's just a joke. So I decided to put an end to that joke. <laughs> and so I just watched for the next few days until I had the precise time as to when it would happen, And then I, a couple of minutes before it was to happen, I unlocked the door and turned the knob with my hand on it, just waiting. (laughs) The minute the doorbell rang, I opened the door and scared the kid to death. (laughs) I gave it my worst face. I did it like this. And when I opened the door, I went, what are you doing? Like that and the kid nearly died on the spot. <laughs> he fell backwards, he screamed bloody murder, and then I said, what are you doing? Why, did you, why do you keep doing this? And he goes, uh, uh, I don't know, I think it's something I ate. <laughs> I started laughing, I said, something you ate? Come on, you can do better than that something you ate he's still shaking and I said look I'm teasing with you I'm playing but I'd rather you not ring the doorbell every day said no sir never again never again I knew okay and he goes on and that was it well here's the point I think a lot of us are a lot like him particularly when it comes to the things of God particularly when it comes to the wrath of God Mm, the wrath of God that's what we're going to be talking about today that is we come up with excuses and some of our excuses are not very good excuses the excuses either that some of us may use or certainly we make for other people as to why God should accept us in eternity and not allow his wrath to come upon us as the scripture teaches we got all kind of reasons well you know, God, I, I mean, you're, you're too good to do that. I mean, I, I know that you wouldn't do that. Or maybe it's, I'm excused because let me tell you, I, I really didn't understand. And maybe I'm not excusing me, but at least excusing others in the fact that they don't get to hear like I get to hear. They don't know what I know about the gospel. Surely God is not going to allow someone to be punished who really couldn't help the way they were. After all, Aren't we born the way we're born? Aren't we born sinners? How could God ever do that? Particularly to someone who's never heard the gospel. The title of the series is going to be Excuses, Excuses, Excuses. And we do have our excuses. Some that are very common. The Apostle Paul, writing under inspiration of God, in the book of Romans, in chapters 1 through 3, is going to address four common excuses. The most common, you're hearing them all the time, we're thinking them a lot, and we're hearing them from other people, and often we're saying, well, I think you've got a good point. It is a pretty good excuse. I don't know how to respond to such an excuse. I think this is a vitally important series. Went on the website yesterday of a noted church pastor is a dear friend of mine. I thought, I'm just going to check out and see what I see on the website. And when I came to the messages and looked at several messages, they were all very, very felt-need. Nothing wrong with a felt-need message. I understand that. But I wasn't surprised in that I, I know that's what people think is so important. If you can tell me how. Tell me how. How do I? How do I this? How does the family? How does the all the hows. And so we love to hear about our behavior. Tell us about our behavior. How do we do better? Do you know, I'm convinced that the most important teaching that I can give to you, not exclusively, certainly, but the most important teaching of all is not the how, it's the what. Do you know, the reality is The Bible teaches, as a person thinks in their heart or mind, so are they. We live the way we think. And so we're saying, no, tell us how to live. Well, no, 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 that really doesn't do much. You get inspired, you get encouraged, you say, good, I want to live that way. But a week later, it's like a New Year's resolution. It's gone. It doesn't change us. But I'll tell you this, you get into the mind Of a person and let them embrace the truth of what God has to say, particularly about Him, Himself, us, and the world in which we live. That creates a worldview. You let a person's worldview be shaped by God's Word, and you don't have to talk about, think about, wonder about, be concerned about living. Let me tell you, it will happen. I could listen to any that would say, Here is my deepest moral struggle. And it wouldn't take me long to trace it right back to how a person thinks. And that thinking is going to have to do with what you believe. And what you believe is what's dictating the way you live. As a person thinks in their hearts, so are they. And when we're saying, well, let's change the way we behave, you can't do that. You change the way you think. So, 36 years ago, when I started preaching, I said, I am going to feed Perimeter Church with a, a regular dose, an annual dose of God's Word from the book of Romans. I think the most vital teaching texts of all God's Word in helping us to know how to think about God and self and the world. There's none better. In fact, as a young Christian, I remember asking people that were far, far along in their faith, and I'd say, how do you get there, and what would you advise me to do? You know what I heard? Study Romans. Study Romans. Study Romans. I remember I was speaking to a professor at graduate school of theology that I thought was the very best of schools and the very best of all the faculty. And asking him that question, he said, you know what I did as a young believer? I took the book of Romans. Didn't know a thing about God's word, but I took Romans. And I'd read a verse or two every day, and I'd get a good commentary, someone that I truly could trust, and I would read what that text meant. And then I took that before the Lord every day, and He said it changed my life forever. I said, You know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to, every five years, my goal will be to preach through Romans 1 through 8. I happened to check and realize this week as I was preparing that I have not kept up the once in every five years because we're back to Romans 1, and it's been 10 years ago next week that I began this series. So it took me twice as long as I thought. I keep kind of expanding as we go but I'm not going to stop. Realizing at a 10-year clip, this may be my last time to be able to get through this. Who knows? But I'll tell you this, I'm excited about it because I know what this can do for you and I know what it can do for me. So I'm going to challenge you. Make this series one you take in the hole. Don't piecemeal it. If you have to be gone, you have to be gone. But podcast, get the CD, listen, keep up. I'm telling you, The teaching here week in and week out can make a difference in your worldview that will impact the way you live. Now, with that, I'm going to invite you, if you will, to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Paul is going to be addressing some wrong assumptions. Jesus is going to do the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount in a different way, but the assumption is this I'm okay with God because, and then we give our reason. And the reason has to do so often with the way we think of God because God is certainly like this, isn't he? Isn't God so good? That's what we talk about today. Well, God is good. God's not going to do something like that to let us perish forever. And how about people who never hear the gospel? Come on, surely. Do you know if we fall prey to the belief that so much of the world and even the church today holds that you know, it's not really fair or right or so forth, you can trace it right back. You can trace it right back to this same assumption that's being made. The assumption is that God would never, never allow his wrath to fall upon people, particularly his own creation, many of which are such good people. He would never never allow it we reject the idea that sinful man is under God's wrath and that's the teaching of our text we've been through 17 verses had you read the introduction I encourage you to go home and read the introduction to the book it takes us through 17 and at verse 18 it begins to really get into the theological treatise where you begin to get the great truths that he is arguing we're going to begin with Romans 1 verse 18 it's the only verse we'll look at today But it is an important one. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, as we look at that, there are two words that we are going to focus on. These two words, this is the simplest outline I've probably ever put in a bulletin. I could cut it in half and it would be a little less, but that would be taking away only one word. There are two words I want us to focus on and think about. The first word is going to be the word revealed. For the wrath of God is revealed. And then we're going to be talking about the fact that it's revealed, yet it's revealed righteously. Righteously. A lot of people say, "Eh, it may be revealed, but I can't believe it's a good and right thing that it would be revealed. So let's first take this word revealed. Now, some would say, I believe it's true that God's wrath is revealed. I believe there is a people who will perish forever. I believe that. But who at the same time would say, however... I don't think everybody who he says is going to experience God's wrath is really going to experience God's wrath. Not as it says in the Bible. Or perhaps others would say, well, I I think that the people the Bible says do experience God's wrath, they will experience it, but I don't think it's appropriate. I don't think God should do that. Well, the word wrath in the Greek language is the word orge, and this is what it means. It's defined as an emotion of fierce anger with regard to wrongdoing. So it's an emotion that God has, and it's an emotion of fierce anger, and he reveals it against wrongdoers. Now, the truth of it is, a person's view of God Will shape their way of life. I just mentioned that. I remember being at the uh, University of Alabama as a student. I had a ministry. I had a ministry among athletes while I was there, and so uh, we were talking to all these guys. We were getting some that were embracing, some that were opposing. It was causing kind of a little conflict between some people because of different worldviews and this, that, and the other, whatever. And so we were challenged. And I was given leadership to a group of the Christians among the athletes that were a part of this. We were challenged to come to a discussion about religion. And so we met in this room, I got there, and here were all of these folks, and they were not, uh, they were not friendly. And there was a sense of anger about what we were doing To be embracing what we were embracing and teaching and saying what we were saying and so forth. And so they just began to fire away. And I listened to all these things they said. And finally, when they got through, I said, let me ask you a question. Are you not concerned? I mean, I heard things about I don't believe there's a God. And if there's a God, I this and this, that, and the other. And I said, well, let me ask you, are you not concerned that there's a day coming, you know, when you're going to die, that maybe there is a God Who would reveal his wrath Whether I use those words I don't know But the God that's going to be a holy just God And you have to face that God Does that not bother you? One of the guys A noted athlete And a strong willed type of guy He spoke up He said I'm not scared a bit Really? Why not? He said well first of all I don't think there is a God I don't think there are any gates of heaven I don't think there is anything to be concerned about but if there is, if I were wrong, I'm still not concerned. I said, really? Why not? He said, because I'll push God aside, I will break down those gates, and I'll take over heaven if I have to, but I'm not concerned. There's no question what that guy thought about God. Oh, he say, saw God in a, in a miniature fashion of somebody weak and this, that, and the other, and I don't know, because I don't push him aside. He didn't understand the truth about God. Not at all. But the scripture says that the wrath of God is revealed. Now that word reveal is an interesting word. The word revealed uh, has to do with the fact that it's, it's uncovered. It's as if it's there. It's just we don't always see it. We don't think about it too often. But it, it, actually that wrath will be revealed. Now. The Bible talks about constantly wrath. I mean, it's not like this is a verse, and in this verse that we looked at, you could maybe understand maybe he meant, no, 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 it's all over the place. Go to the Old Testament think about it. You go to the Old Testament, the earliest days, you got the story of the flood with Noah, and the God's wrath was given upon an earth because of the sin of the earth. You can go a little bit further. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know that story. He takes out an entire city. You can take the, the stories of, uh, of the plagues with the Pharaoh, and all he did, take away those people and their sin. You go to the New Testament, you have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They lie before God. Look what happens. They die at the very moment. The story in Revelation, the, the bowls of wrath, and those, those bowls, the six bowls, they take place throughout the history of mankind, only to have the seventh being the final judgment that we hear so much about. People are often asking, well, now it's revealed. How is this wrath of God revealed? Well, those are illustrations, but I think you could put them maybe in some categories. You say, well, it can be revealed in one sense through providence. And this is only for those that are non believers, but in their experience, what they do wrong and the errors that they make, then there are natural consequences that are considered even the things of wrath. It's God's displeasure being meted out through what we've done. So somebody overeats and overdrinks. Well, the righteous and the unrighteous alike, that's right. They're going to get maybe addicted to whatever. They're going to have disease, whatever it may be. They let their temper fly. The next thing you know, they've got broken relationships. They've got divorce. Maybe it ends up they're in prison. They're the natural consequences of the things we do. Now, the difference, by the way, is this. Christians and non-Christians alone, uh, uh, together, following the same issues. We understand that. Not, shouldn't be in the same way, in the same proportion, certainly not with the same heart and mind, but we do, and if we do, know this, that God even uses all things to work together for good in the Christian's life, but that's not true to the non-believer, not according to Scripture. And so for them, it is an expression of the wrath of God. It is a punishment. It is. It's a natural punishment. They can also be the unusual and unnatural intervention. I know when I was in, when I was in um, graduate school, I had a course that I had to take on uh, chaplaincy or, I don't know, hospital visitation. I forget what they call it. But anyway, we had to all go to the hospital two times every week for a whole semester. And we were, at that time, the law allowed us to get the charts of the patients to see their medical conditions. And so we would go in, check out the patient's condition and so forth and so on if we chose to do that. And then we would go and we had a hall and we had to work on that same floor all the time. And so I walked through there one day and there was a lady and her chart said nothing serious. I go into a room and and I'm not required to do this, but I thought if I can and they're open, I'd sure love to share the gospel and tell them about Christ. And so I happened to bring up spiritual things and I did. And this lady went off on me. I'm telling you, she just cursed me and got out. It was horrible what she did to me. It was like she was so angry. And I just responded. I said, I didn't mean to offend you. I wasn't my goal. But I, can I ask you this? Are you not a little concerned? Are you not just a little concerned about you dying one day and having to face a God that you've talked about like this? And I'm going to tell you what she said. I can't remember the detail. But I know she cursed the name of God. And I very graciously said, well, that's fine. I'm not, I am not want to push it. That's, I just wanted to see how you're doing. And I leave. And so I left, and that was it. Come by a couple days later. Go by the room. The room was empty. And I just happened to mention the nurse. I said, can I ask you, the lady, did she check out? The nurse said, the oddest thing, right after you walked out, that woman died. Unexpectedly, she died on the spot. Now, I know this, and I'm going to be asked to come to the hospital a whole lot less after this story <laughs> than before. I personally believe, i mean it's the case, I think God said, hmm, okay. He can reveal his wrath as he pleases. He's done it before. He'll do it again. But then, of course, there is the wrath that's revealed eternally, and we think about that as the great judgment, and that's when... The wrath of God, the seventh bowl of wrath, that's when that's going to happen, we understand in Scripture. We understand that it's just, it's constantly been this way. I know this, Jesus certainly believed in the wrath of God being revealed. Look at John in chapter, uh, in chapter 3, ch- verse 36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life. What does it say? But the wrath of God abides on him. So it says that it is revealed. The revealed there is in the present tense. It means that it is being revealed. That's why I suggest it's not just the final judgment. It's a constant judgment of God that comes upon those who are not his. Now, the second and final word we look at is the word righteously because the thesis that I'm trying to suggest from God's word here is that God's wrath is revealed, but it is always revealed righteously, suggesting that there is no sense in which the innocent are going to receive the judgment of God called his wrath. It just will not happen. But the problem is, is we don't have an understanding of the innocent. In fact, you know now, I am underscoring this teaching. You're going to hear this in our text coming up. It's going to be one of the most important teachings I think I could ever give because it's going to address the question, though it's found in chapter 5, we will address it early, and it's the question is, well, wait, 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 how come we get the penalty for something that someone else called Adam did those many, many, many years ago? And that is if there ever was a real Adam. By the way, you cannot understand the gospel. I don't think you can truly embrace the gospel until you understand the answer to that question. That's why people say, oh, you know what? Oh, I know what it is. It's it's just I follow Jesus, and that's what makes me a Christian. No, it's not, folks. It's because of what he does in putting his righteousness on us that you can't understand without understanding that we have an unrighteousness because of Adam. The idea is that Jesus is a second Adam, And the first Adam, because we are related to him, we die. But because we're related to Jesus, we get to live. And I'm going to walk through that in a much clearer and more detailed way of understanding. But when you begin to get that, you go, oh, goodness, it's not because I'm following Jesus. I'm following Jesus because I was made righteous. And I was made righteous because Christ put his righteousness on me. And therefore, I follow him. But see, it's this whole understanding. You know, I'm not surprised at all that the greatest attacks by the evil one in our society are to take away the belief system, even of the church, that there was a real Adam. Put it another way. Let's just do away with creation. We can just hold to evolution. Then we get rid of all this problem. And you can't understand the gospel. There are Christians who say, oh, I love the Lord and I want to follow him but they don't understand the truth about Adam and what happened in their life as a result, and therefore they can't understand the righteousness of Christ because it just doesn't doesn't fit. It's a system. It goes together. Vitally important. But this righteousness of God revealed. What does it mean? The righteousness of God is revealed against those who suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. Well, first of all, the word suppress. It means to hold down as a counter force against the power that's being brought to us. For instance, a giant spring. Think of a spring, waist high here, big, thick spring. And I'm going to twist it and push it down with all I've got. And I push and I push and I get it down to a certain level. I can't push any further. And the resistance, it wants to fly right back in my face. And this is what God is saying is happening. We mankind are suppressing the truth of God. We're not suppressing the gospel, the news of Jesus. There are people throughout the world that never even hear of Jesus. That's another problem. But I'm talking about the problem of suppressing the truth of God in unrighteousness. What's he saying there? He's saying, here's the deal. You mankind, this is what's happened to you. You're saying, I do not want to bow my knee to someone greater than me that deserves worship and obedience. I want to live the way I want to live. I want to do what I want to do. And when the two happen to come together and I see what God says and what I want, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's the nature of man. It's only because God's righteousness comes upon us that we have the ability or power to say, I don't want to do the things I want to do. What? What? I don't want to do the things I want to do, and I will not do the things I want to do because I don't have to. I have his righteousness. That's the difference in the two peoples, those without and those with Christ. It's not just, I'm going to live a better life. I'm following the rules now. No, it's a whole new life of God's righteousness. He says, we suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. Now, Goes on, make sure we understand this, we suppress the truth that is not the gospel. The truth is God's being the, God being the only one who deserves our worship and obedience. So the question is, well, who does this? And the answer is you, me, all of us. They're none righteous They're none. We all suppress the truth of God. The word ungodly, lack of reverence for God, The word unrighteous, a little different, lack of reverence for God's law. So what are we all doing? God? No, I want to be my own master. God's law? No, I want to do what I want to do. And it doesn't agree with what God says I should do. Our hearts are bent here. We suppress that truth in unrighteousness. The reality is we deserve the wrath of God. Do you believe that? We deserve the wrath of God. It's a game changer when you begin to believe that. One commentator, and I've lost who it is. I had this in my notes, and I couldn't find who who said this, but great statement. It says, due to the holiness of God, a creation of his who suppresses and resists the truth that he alone is worthy of worship and obedience has committed divine treason and thus worthy of execution. It's a man that I have used in study for many years, uh, Richard Trench. He's a great uh, Bible scholar, was. He talks about how good it is that the wrath of God is revealed against unrighteousness. Though we hear it as a negative message. He said, we've got to understand how good this is. Here's how he put it. This is the wrath of a God who would not love good, would not love good unless he hated evil, the two being inseparable, that he must do both or neither. You see, Christian, we should be saying, thank you, God, that you hate evil the way you hate it, that you deal with it the way you deal with it. That's what makes you a gracious, wonderful, righteous God is that you're willing to do that and Trench goes on to say, and you know what? You and I, we better have the same mind and heart. We should do the same thing. Here's what he says as it relates to us. He says, there can be no surer and sadder token of an utterly prostrate moral condition than the not being able to be angry with sin and sinners. Can you imagine someone who would stand as an adult... And watch a little child be molested right in your presence and stand there and do nothing and say, ah, their business is so big. Let me tell you, we would take after that guy and we'd say, how could you stand there and let that happen? Well, I could get hurt and no, I don't care what happens. You should have gone in and protected that child. Everything in us would rise up and say, no, defend that child. And that's a good thing. And if we didn't, we would be the wicked of all people. And if God says, yeah, you're you're unrighteousness, that's okay. Yeah, there it goes. I see what you're doing. Treason, yeah, no big deal. That wouldn't be the God we want to serve. Not at all. Let me bring this to conclusion. There's good news. There's the best news of all news. And that is we do not have to experience the wrath of God. Can there be a better news? I know this. I've sat here hundreds of times taking communion, and it is most always that when I start listing what are the benefits of this great table, the first thing that comes to my thinking is I will never experience the wrath of God, never. I get to experience the presence of God, but I don't have to experience his wrath. Life can be no better if that be true. Here's what it says in the scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, referring to his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. It is Christ alone who delivers us. How about 2 Corinthians 5.21? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And 1 Peter 2.24 And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. Let me ask you, seeker, Do you want this? You want to know that the wrath of God, gone forever, God will never punish you on this earth or later? What you do go through is consequences of even your own sin, that he'll wrap it for good. He'll turn it and make it work out together for good in your life. Do you want that? Jesus, we just read it. He's the answer. He's the only one that delivers us from his wrath. How? By taking the wrath of God on himself on the cross. That's how. He takes that wrath so that we don't have to take it. Somebody had to take it. He took it for us. Christian, what does it do for you when you hear this message? Better question is, what does it do to you when you think about your own sin? Do you on the one hand say, oh, i tell you what I does. I I see my sin and I realize I shouldn't do it and I, I hate the fact that I do. But come on, let's be real. Everybody does it. Are you involved in fornication as a single right now? What singles aren't? Does the Bible, I know what the Bible teaches, but that's not, you know, everybody does it. Well, I know it's not good, but it's, it's not a big deal. Let me tell you, that's the person who does not understand the text that we've just studied. They don't understand the nature of God, They don't understand the nature of themselves. And therefore, that's the way they think. Therefore, that's the way they believe or they behave. That's the way it works. The way you know you've met the righteousness of Christ and been delivered from the wrath of God is you find in your heart this incredible gratitude, appreciation, a humbleness, a humility that says, Oh, God. I can't believe that you would redeem me. You see yourself in your sin, but in the righteousness that covers it. There's something about you that says, I've got to help those people who don't know what I know about righteousness. That's the story of the gospel. When you meet it, when you know Christ, you've got to give it to other people. And you don't say, no big deal. You say, I'm struggling, I'm losing the struggle, but I'll fight, I'll get help, I'll do whatever it takes because my Redeemer lives and I want to follow him. That is the story of Christendom. I'm going to have us close by standing and reading together from Ephesians chapter 2, the first 10 verses. This is the story of grace. It puts it all into perspective as we read this as we close. Let's read together. Together. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one should boast, for we are his workmanship Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray thanking you for the grace that you have given in Christ. And we pray, our Father, now that you would allow us to understand the depth of the sin of a heart that suppresses the truth of you in unrighteousness. Forgive us for that. Thank you that by your grace... You gave us the story of your son, Jesus, and you've let us meet him and know him. And I pray for those without that relationship, even now, may they see the cross of Christ for all that it's worth. May their hearts fall in love with you right now. May they bow before you and say, I surrender and I follow. And may we know it's because of your great righteousness you've given us. So thank you for your love. Cause us as your children to leave this place ready to serve others We pray, our Father, grant it for your honor,
0: and we ask it in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.